Support for the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming and champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. This episode of Las Blancas podcast is also brought to you by Hotel Rio Plaza, New York Times Square, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see us for the Managing Madrid podcast live in New York City. Kian Sobani, that's me, Om Arvind, Gabe Lezra, three of us, plus a room full of maridistas jam-packed, talking about Real Madrid, partying, hanging out before and after the show. If you want to be a part of that family, that squad, that tribe, drive in from wherever you need to drive in from. Link in the show notes to book your spot. And a uh, quick shout out to everyone who came to Dallas last time for the podcast. Matt and I had a ton of fun, and I think everyone did last night. We had a pleasure meeting you all. And if your head is kind of spinning from all this content, because we did Las Blancas on Thursday, we did a mailbag on Friday, we did um, the Dallas show last night, and then today we had uh, the Granada post game show for the men's team. Then we have Las Blancas coming up today with Grant and Ohm. That's this episode, obviously. That's, I think, five podcasts in four days, if my math is not wrong. Don't sweat. I would prioritize the post-game shows and then leave the Dallas podcast that we did last night for last because that one was intentionally not time-sensitive. It was a lot of Real Madrid trivia. It was a lot of Real Madrid history, a lot of interaction uh, with the crowd. And the great thing about that episode was that it was behind closed doors in a nice, intimate venue, so we didn't have background bar noise or whatever. So I think you'll have a really good time listening to that. So... The, so, so I would put that last and that way you won't have any anxiety. You can catch up and uh, you'll be all caught up by the Sheriff game on Wednesday if you do it that way. Uh, by the way, Ryu, riu.com, perfect logistically situated right across from the podcast venue. So you can have a nice vacay in Times Square for the weekend, go to the podcast and everything is just within arm's reach. And if you want to have a real adventure and discover New York's major neighborhoods and hidden gems, Ryu Hotels and Resorts New Hotel is the best choice since it is located close to the city's main subway lines which cover all of the Big Apple's boroughs. The 7 train which is only 6 minutes from the hotel will take you to Queens where you can visit Long Island City, the borough's most fashionable neighborhood. The A and C trains just a quarter mile from the hotel will take you to Brooklyn where you can visit Prospect Park. And lastly, the 3 train which is 6 minutes from the hotel will take you to the Bronx and the ferry which will take you to Staten Island where you can take in the spectacular views of the Statue of Liberty. As you can see, just a few steps beyond the hotel, you will have access to all of New York. So book your stay at, at rauriu.com. Book your podcast tickets. The links will be in the show notes. Also, the future podcast, that's Miami in January, London February, uh, DC in March, Chicago in April, Mumbai in May. All of those in the show notes. And let's get started on this because this has been a massive intro. So here is Grant and Om Las Blancas, Sunday night edition. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to 
Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind, and as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. Today we're going to break down an extremely frustrating game, I hate to say, a draw between Real Madrid Femenino and Deportivo Alaves, a 1-1 draw. Man, Grant, is it fair to say that like this is the most frustrating game we've ever watched in Real Madrid Femenino history? I mean, there are some contenders. We can go all the way back to the Capon days where got to get who it was. It was actually our last game, I think, of that season before COVID cut, cut it short. We were up 3-0, and we ended up losing 4-3 by the end of it. But it just feels like this being like a culmination of everything we've suffered so far this season, this just, it was like the final straw on the camel's back when we've already had final, so many final straws just because of how this game went and because it wasn't straightforward. Have there been more frustrating games for you? or is, is, I, I think there probably the have been. I remember a few results last year toward the beginning of the season that were super frustrating. A lot of the games to start this season have been super frustrating. But the fact that you believe that this is a contender speaks to the level of frustration throughout this match because it was just, it was not good. It was frustrating from start to finish with some good in the middle that we then ruined, which made it all the more frustrating. Yeah, so should probably announce the disclaimer that I'm on literally zero hours of sleep. I don't think just lying in bed for an hour between 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. trying to sleep counts as sleep. So I'm definitely going to be a bit more crabby when I come off of that and then have to watch this game. So maybe objectively, it's not the most frustrating game in the world, but it was not pleasant to watch. And by the end of it, I was tearing my hair out, especially because by halftime, I kind of calmed down. I'm like, you know, this is not so bad. So before we get into all of that, let's just quickly touch on what's probably the biggest Real Madrid Feminino news of the past day or two. I, I mean, I haven't slept. I don't, I don't know what time is anymore. I don't know what day it is. but. Most of you probably are aware of this by now, but uh, Tom Gary of The Telegraph reported that Real Madrid have made a 100,000 euro offer for racing Louisville's Swedish midfielder Freya Olofsson, Olofsson, how do you pronounce it? And apparently she's a defensive midfielder, a proper pivot, and this kind of come out of the blue I guess because no one on the Spanish side of things who usually feed us little tidbits who seem to be on top of everything none of them seem to be aware of this but as far as I understand Tom Gary is a reliable guy and I don't see any reason to doubt its authenticity necessarily I have got indication previously that Real Madrid after kind of the disastrous start to the league were looking at targets in the, in the winter window, because apparently that's what it took for them to realize that we have depth issues. And I should also mention that Tom Gary in his tweet says that he's expecting Real to be ambitious in the market in general, which suggests that this will not be the only player that we're targeting. We'll have to see what happens. Who knows whether this materializes? Remember, it's not just the club's interest. The player has to want to come as well. And honestly, looking at Real Madrid's situation, does a player want to come? I mean, the NWSL and all has its issues, but it's still a league that 
overseas players come to time and time again because what women's league across the world doesn't have issues and WSL is still considered a premier league and well to be quite frank Primera Bedro is not because we're not even sure if it's a league in the first place which is why there's an entire dispute going on between you know Real Sociedad and a couple other clubs in the RFDF who are not wearing the patch you guys must have caught some of that like so it's a disaster right all of this to say, don't know whether it's going to happen, but I do believe that the rumor is legit. What little I know of this player, and it's mostly coming from stuff like Yash has said, the guy who obviously has kind of a little bit of knowledge on everything, is that she's just a, a standard defensive midfielder who does her, her ball-winning duties fairly well, but isn't really much of a progressor and in, in, in an on-ball player which I guess could be fine in a vacuum, right? Like it, it almost sounds like that's just what we need to play a defensive midfielder in, in, in Real Madrid right now. But 100,000 is kind of what makes the eye pop, right? I, that's, that's a lot of money in women's football and unsure at the moment whether this player is, is, is actually worth that much and maybe indicates a little bit about the kind of desperation Real Madrid feels at the moment, which no doubt would only have increased after this draw that we had today grant i know you follow the nwsl but probably not super aware of this play you got anything to add we go straight to the match no, i've seen her play before i most of the times that i've seen racing louisville i i traveled down to louisville and was just sitting in the stands as a fan so i don't have all that much but i'd be happy to do some digging if this if this materializes in the future so put a pin in it We'll come back to it if necessary. To the match, starting 11, David Osnar goes back to a diamond, I guess, because what we saw versus PSG was not really a diamond. It was difficult to tell what it was, but this was very clearly a diamond to start off. Lucia Rodriguez at right back, Rocio Galvez, right center back, Ivana Andres at left center back again. I, that, it's, it's interesting that, I guess... He's just decided to swap positions with them. Uh, Olga Carmona at left back. Obviously, Misa on goal. Claudia Zornoza, Maite, Arroz, Teresa Abellera. The three central midfielders behind the number 10, Lorena Navarro, and Nayikari Garcia and Esther Gonzalez up top. Grant, do you like that lineup? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, you look at that, obviously, a little rotation with Lucia coming in for Kenti. But this is right now pretty close to a full strength 11 for the players that we're able to roll out on the pitch. I don't have many problems with the lineup. This is strong, right? Like, I don't think you can have many complaints facing Alaves. Like this clearly looks to me like enough quality on the team sheet bar Ivana Andres being swapped to Rocio. Everyone is basically where they're supposed to be. You think, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine coming into this now. What wasn't fine and what was super weird was Real Madrid just decided they did not want to announce the lineup. And I guess this was just a signal of everything that was going to come. The second we saw this happening, it was like bad juju, right? We should have known because Arancha, God bless her soul, was the one who posted the lineup 15, 20 minutes before the match started. And our good old community manager, as Spaniards would like to call a social media manager decided to hop right on as the game was starting you know finished his nice nap 
got some bagels like Grant did before the pod, just chilling and realized, oh, the match is going to start. Let me just post In one minute. <laughs> Let me just post he the He literally graphic. posted at 12.29. So, yeah, fantastic fucking stuff as usual, Real Madrid. And, yeah, kind of important of things to come. Guess there's no dodging it, Grant, right off the bat. We fucking concede. What the hell happened there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I have that, like, FootMob app, and it gives you notifications. I always have to turn them off because I'm lagging. And I saw the score come up, and I'm like, how does this even come up? Like, we're playing it around the back right now. We look in control. Olga has this ball where she's running and she's getting closed down. She plays a pass that's maybe a little too heavy. Teresa with her back to goal has a miscontrol right into the path of the onrushing Olives player. Takes it down the flank, crosses it in. Maite is in this really tough position and tries to get any sort of touch on it. Falls right to Alba, who puts it away. And I didn't realize this at the time, but we should have known that she was going to score because her last name was Osnar. And when I saw that the person who scored against Real Madrid and was causing us trouble all game had the last name Osnar, it just, it just made sense. It was a sign. There were a million signs in this game. From the weird lineup shit, to the way we can see that goal, to Osnar being the one who, who does the damage. By the way, I thought Alba Osnar had a really good game. It was just a super weird one, man. The first, like, 10 to 15 minutes of this game, because we conceded so early, maybe you can even extend it to 20 minutes, was, like, it was just dreadful, right? It was, like, one of those earlier in the season where we go down early, the response is non-existent, it's sluggish because we're so mentally fragile at this point. The passes aren't coming together. We can't get to the final third. Blah, blah, blah. It just goes on and on and on. The opponent gains confidence. They come at you. And at a certain point, I was like, I, I don't even want to like watch this anymore. Like I'm just so tired of the same story. And as it turned out, there was a pretty big turnaround. And we ended that half like completely on top. But, dude, I was so tired. Like, the 10th minute, I think I messaged you or something like that. Like, I'm, I'm so done with this because we've seen this story manifest like this, like, almost every single game this season. Right, and that's the thing. Like, it's not like there's new problems, not new things to kind of critique or whatever. It's the same thing. And it's the same thing we've been talking about, like, when we started this podcast last year. And it's just irritating to see a real lack of improvement on these things that it's pretty easy to identify what's wrong for basically two years now. So credit to Alaves. I thought they played really well to start the game, especially offensively. They were really brave building out from the back. They were not going immediately long from the keeper. We were pressing high in our 4-4-2 diamond shape. They just wanted to play straight through it, then find the fullback, play into the channel. In possession and in transition, the first 10-15 minutes, they were finding lots of joy getting in behind the space our fullbacks left. Obviously, there's very lax cover because we're in a diamond. One of the weaknesses of a diamond is the ability to exploit the space out wide, especially if you're going to stay in that defensive shape. And I was like, 
wow, like this is impressive. I knew Alaves had a bit of a rep coming in as being plucky underdogs and so that this game wouldn't be easy. But I was impressed with some of the stuff I saw with their build-up play. That ended up almost biting them in the ass multiple times afterwards, which doesn't surprise me because at the end of the day, they don't have the personnel to be able to to consistently do it sequence by sequence without there being this high risk reward scenario like we do essentially, which is an ironic thing to say given how we conceded the first goal. But I'm always impressed by by sides who can take it to the uh, to the opposition like this and stun them and, and just kind of go for it. And I think the fact that Olivez stopped doing that actually like really started to hurt them right because they went one nil up eventually we started to calm down we started to to start circulating possession properly realized that we have all the best players on the pitch and all of this really started to sink back and i'll just preface what i'm gonna gonna say with this like i really do not enjoy criticizing osnar and talking badly about this team i know at times it can seem like I do. We crack a lot of jokes, which is honestly the only way to keep this, like, keep me sane when I'm talking about this. But, like, the relentless negativity just, it gets so exhausting. I mean, this is my team. I want to talk positively about them. Obviously, I have this thing about objectivity and, you know, whatever nonsense. But, God damn it, I follow this team because I want to feel good things. I want to be proud of what I'm seeing on the pitch. And I want to praise the players. I want to praise the coach. I don't care if Osnar turns around the next day and he's Pep Guardiola and I have to eat my my shoe or whatever based on anything I've said. Like, I just, I want to say good things about the team I love. And so I was quite pleased to see that after like a really shitty like 20 minutes or so, like it was a flip switch, right? In concordance with Olivez, like just really dropping off and parking the bus, we dominated. Like there was consistent pressure in the box, right? They had a few transition moments here and there, but we were largely able to control them. It was ball after ball into the box. There were plenty of shots. There were a number of missed opportunities. It was good, right? And the diamond was working, kind of like how we've seen it work in the past. Although I think Olivez defensively we're falling for it a bit too much, which is, again, that central, intense central occupation. We have Nikari Garcia, and you have Esther, you have Lorena staying narrow, threatening between the lines, running off the shoulder, in addition to Maite, Teresa, Zornoza, two of them being able to push up to offer support. It's going to completely compact defensive lines and create space for the fullbacks who are stretched to the touchline. I think Olivez overreacted to it too much. They were defending in a 4-1-4-1 a lot of the time, so they definitely had the numbers to, to stay both centrally compact and maintain some level of width. But, I mean, when you see all of those players and all of those names there, I, it's perfectly understandable. And the midfield line just got way too narrow. I would have liked to see Olga and Lucy, Olga especially, stretch wider more consistently. But, I mean, that's just going to be a feature of a side that's not really organized when we have the ball. The truth is that Olga got into plenty of situations. Receiving on the switch was dangerous one versus one. You could argue she was our best attacker in the first half. And I don't know if I'm like deviating far from your opinion, Grant, but like we ended that half ultimately on top. Like we had, I think it was 
seven shots, six on target, which understates the amount of potential shots we could have gotten, the amount of box entries we had, dominated possession. After that shitty period, right, it felt something similar to a Real Madrid we saw last season. At times, I feel like it may have even felt better than moments last season because we were dominating so much from, I think, around the 20th minute till the 45th minute. And normally when Real Madrid dominates the game, we have a lot of the ball, Maite, Tarek, passing around the midfield, but we normally don't have these box entries. We're not creating chances. In this game, we created probably more chances in that first half than we've created in any game other than maybe the Breda Blick game where, I mean, we just carved through them and scored like five goals. We had so many chances in the first half, and we, we honestly had the chances enough to win it in the second half even when things got a little funky. So I really liked the response from the team after a really lackluster start, sloppy touches on the ball. Normally when we go down early or go down at all, we see this team kind of drop their heads and you're like, do they really have the confidence to fight and get back into it? And I was excited because it, it looked like they did. And it looked like at the second half, we were going to dominate this game. And it might take a long time to break down a stubborn all of his defense. But it would come because we have all of the ball. Zornosa was playing brilliant crossfield switches into space. We had a lot of chances. The goalkeeper for Alaves did a pretty good job today. But then everything changed. We got back into it in the 32nd minute. It was from an offensive set piece situation. And Naikari Garcia, once again, able to get her head onto it, kind of a backwards header situation very similar to the goal she scored versus the Betis. It seems that's the only way she can score, but we love to see it, right? It seems like she's broken that duck. She was decisive, clever with her box movement, got into the right position, finished it, and with really an hour of the match to go and more, you had to feel pretty confident that Real Madrid were going to go on and win this game based on the amount of chances we were creating. Just a couple minutes later, we robbed them on one of their really risky build-up sequences building out from the goalkeeper, Maite gets a one versus one. And I, I cannot believe she missed that. I thought it was in for like five seconds afterwards. And I think she knows that should have been a goal. Those were the types of chances we were getting. or it, those, That's the kind of indicator of the dominance we had. We, we actually didn't get like a one versus one like that again because that was the best chance we had at the game. But we had plenty of good chances after that. This wasn't like previous performances versus deep blocks where it's just a bunch of half chances no we were able to pin Oliver's back so much that even though we weren't necessarily doing anything super creative it was just sheer volume into the box is going to allow you to be able to create that much especially when the space for the fullbacks to deliver is so much because of the offensive structure just the way it naturally plays out and then you have three players in the box at all time with Naikari, Esther and Lorena right it's like the classic diamond stuff giving us what we've seen in the past when we go for it. And I think there is a bit of a change because when it's 1-1, Alaves have to come out again. They can't be so deep. And I think they looked a bit better after that. I, it's a bit ironic, like them being braver and the riskier they played, I felt like they were just better. I don't think they ever got back to the position they were at to start the game until you know certain subs which we'll get to but it felt like okay they were starting to able to to threaten 
us in behind just a tiny bit more. That's when spaces started to open up and Zornoza began playing these really, really nice balls over the top. And had we been crisper with some touches, had some bullshit offside calls not being called, maybe we would have, we would have been thrown goal. But as it stood, went into halftime, 1-1, we come out and for several minutes, right, Grant, it's basically kind of the same situation, right? Or did you kind of see the second, the start of the second half differently? I think the start of the second half was just as good, if not better, honestly, with I felt like we had a lot of control in the second half. In the first half, we were the better side, but it was maybe a little more transitional, a little more space for Alaves to get in behind. In the second half, it just seemed like we had all of the ball up until the 55th minute. And we were going to continue to create tons of chances because they, I thought we counterpressed better. I thought Alaves didn't play through as much. And we were able to kind of pin them back and just recycle and recycle and attack and attack. I thought it was it was a great 10 minutes of play in that second half. And I was really ready around that period. I think I messaged you before, Grant. Like, I was ready to say, this, this is not Osnar's fault. There's nothing he can do about the giveaway that happens in the beginning of the game. Clearly, his lineup and general tactics are working because we're just creating chance after chance. And it's not his fault that the players aren't finishing them. Obviously, there are some things here and there we want to improve, but fundamentally, this was this was good. It was good lineup selection. He chose the right plan. The process was actually working for once. And I swear to God, I was ready to come on this podcast and say, we can't blame Osnar for this one if we didn't end up winning. So what does he do? He changes what was working. And this is what I say about not being a process-oriented coaching staff, coach, whatever, like, come on, dude, your plan was working. You were creating all the chances you needed. If the finish is not coming, that's out of your hand. It's on the players out on the pitch, right? Maybe you can swap out player for player within the same system if you think that you can continue to generate those same chances. And, and, and someone who's more on form, like maybe Muller or someone, can come on in the same role as the person they're replacing, they can, they can make the difference, they can finish. Why on earth would you drastically alter complete domination? Like, you have to be so goddamn sure you can become 1% better to make a drastic... Because this was... It was sheer domination. It was, wow, this is way better than I ever thought it was going to be after 20 minutes in. I'm really confident that we're going to find a win here. It should probably be a win by a couple goals, but maybe only by one because that's just how the finishing is going. And my guy just completely shatters what was working. And I do not think I've ever been more bewildered by a set of substitutions in all my time watching David Osnar coach this team. And that is saying something. Like, it sounds like hyperbole, We've done segments on this podcast, like trying to rank the weirdest set of substitutions, but I am extremely confident this one takes the cake because never have we been in a situation where we have been so on top and Osnar has done pretty much everything right to where he's just literally sabotaged himself and completely turned the game around in favor of the ops. Like, I don't think I've ever seen 
such a huge drop off from how you were playing before a set of substitutions to how you were afterwards. I genuinely could not believe what I was seeing. I thought, surely this is going to be just a five minute period. Like, it almost feels like a made up scenario where tactics nerds do this to like falsely prove that formation and structure has more value than it actually does. And so I guess we've held off long enough. I almost don't even want to say it, but the substitutions were Ateneo del Castillo for Teresa Abeira, Caroline Muller-Hansen for Lorena Navarro. And if you have a sharp mind, you realize those are not like-for-like substitutions. But theoretically, it could be, right? Like you could put Caroline Muller-Hansen in the field and maybe you can put Athenae in the number 10 position or something, or you could drop Nike. I mean, but you start to see how it doesn't necessarily work, right? Clearly, the intention of the, these subs are to change the shape. And Grant, it took you and I a while, but this guy, he changed to essentially a 4-2-3-1 slash 4-4-2 system. And this is the best bit with Naikari Garcia on the left wing. And it just completely shattered everything that was working about the diamond, right? We were talking about a system that was consistently compacting Olives, forcing them to give up wide areas, right? Having that central occupation allowed us to find the spaces we love to, love to play into out wide. And my guy goes and completely takes that away. Both Maite and Zornoza can no longer step up in the half spaces because they're in a double pivot. They have to be more conservative. Naikari gets stretched out to the touchline and because she's left-footed, she's not going to come inside. Atania's out on the right. She's right-footed, so she's going to be near the touchline. And all of a sudden, we stretch Alaves's defense wide without having proper central occupation. We know how we struggle to play between the lines when we play in a 4-2-3-1, right? Despite Astani playing there, you know, beforehand, we, we've, we've always struggled to find her, right? We don't have the build-up patterns. And it is remarkable how instantly we just were not able to, to get near the box anymore. It, it's astounding. I know I'm just going on and on, but, like, I genuinely cannot believe how you go from every 30 seconds a ball into the box to it takes four minutes to get near the box now. It's – my mind is blown. It just – it literally just stopped everything that was working completely. And I have no, I don't understand it at all. I'm sorry, Grant. I just, I mean, I had to, but no, if, if there's anything left for it. you to say. It, it was just irritating. I mean, you look at it and you think, you know, Zoranosa was one of the players of the match. I think Naikari was one of the players of the match. And you end up, making it so they're not in the same places that they were operating in and finding all of the success earlier in the game. As you talked about, Naikari drops kind of into midfield on the wing, and now Zornosa's in this double pivot, and you've basically made these two players who were having very good games, you took them out of their element and made them adapt to this new thing that they're not in an, like they're not in an advantageous position individually there was no change to make it so that they were getting in better positions. This, this made their job more difficult and it was already difficult because Olives was doing a decent job of defending. It, it made zero sense. And I want to say like, this is no hate to Muller or Athenea because we've 
raved about them on the podcast. I think there's a way that you could bring these players on where it is beneficial. But the way that he did it and the players that he took off, it was shambolic. I mean, it went from having complete control to a game of chaos and transition. And there was no turning back at that point. And this is why I have so little faith, right? This is the perfect example of a lack of process-oriented perspective, which you need more than ever in a club that is growing, that does not have the star quality in every single position to cover up every hole and where results are just always within grasp, right? We are not a title-contending team. We are going to go through peaks and troughs, and we need to have a larger outlook on how to manage these types of you know, tough spells where things are not always going in our way with the ability to have stick to and, and find a larger vision that we can have faith in to guide us through all of this. And if you just think about this season and some of it, I understand is injury driven, but also some of it is, is, is Osnar. We have played like 90,000 different systems across one third of a season. It's just, change 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 like no idea of what the coherent philosophy is for us to be able to go against most opponents and just use that overwhelming philosophy to beat them which is what top clubs do and which is what we should be aspiring to do as a long-term project knowing that we're not going to win a goddamn thing in the foreseeable future and instead it's just this reaction every single game within games, regardless of whether something is working or not. I, we go from a 5-4-1 park the bus PSG to asymmetric 4-4-2 formation with Teresa Abayera being a number 10 half the time, mid-high block trying to dominate possession. This is after a 4-4-2 diamond versus Real Betis, where we go back to a 4-4-2 diamond in this game, where it's complete high-pressing, counter-pressing, dominating possession, which we then mid-game, after it's all working, switch to a 4-2-3-1 that completely destroys everything we're doing. I don't understand how a team is supposed to be able to generate the tactical synergy to be able to accomplish things on the pitch when things are changing every single time. And players like Naikari are being played in three different positions across, what is it, like 10, 11 games in the season? It's, there's no process. There's no vision of what it is underlying all of this that's going to take us forward. It's every day, it's something different. And that's just not sustainable. I mean, I know as a club, as Real Madrid, we've never been a philosophy club, but this is on a complete another extreme. And we are not Real Madrid in the sense that we are not the dominant team with all that history behind us. We are a weaker team. We are a smaller team that needs something stronger on the foundation. Six years from now, when we've bought every single top class player in the world and, you know, Trinity Rodman is here with Sophia Smith and et cetera, et cetera. And we have, you know, Damaris as our, our defensive. Yeah, okay, sure. You know, fuck around. Just be vibes FC and you're going to get away with it most of the time like Real Madrid does. It doesn't work like this, man. And it doesn't even work in a game where you're completely dominating because you can't see that you just need to let it play out. And if we don't win, guess what? It's not your fault. And 
fuck the criticism because you have to have an understanding of your own your understanding of how to assess yourself honestly it's almost like Osnar was like I have to do something otherwise it's going to come back on me like dude forget all of that you have to have an ability to evaluate what's going on and just shut it all out and I understand there's so much criticism I understand it's not easy but like I'm not I was not going to come on this podcast and criticize Osnar for this even if he fucking subbed on Cora there on the 85th minute right I would have said for 85 minutes we were doing the right thing what difference is five minutes going to make maybe he made a mistake there but ultimately it was mostly the player's fault on the day it baffles me because it basically killed the chance of getting the result, right? So we had two shots off the woodwork. So the one sub that was positive was Henty came on and she immediately created a chance for S there. And then Atenea with the ridiculous shot from distance puts one on the crossbar and there was literally nothing else. That was it. And compared to what we were doing before, that's not good enough. And it was truly astonishing to watch how we did. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just completely rambling now, but where do you want to take this, Grant? I think we got to talk about Zornosa. She has become a different player in three-person midfield now. I think she has more freedom. She's more confident. Her ability to play these cross-field switches that not only switch the point of attack, but find wide-open players on the flank. Her ability to play lofted balls over the top to Esther, which probably should have resulted in a goal if we had VAR or something like that. She's been a completely different player, and if it wasn't for her assisting Esther, we would be in like an even worse position than we are because she has probably gotten more assists than anybody else in the team. If you take the rest of the team and combine them, uh, she's been on fire recently and adds a measured verticality that I don't think we had in that midfield up until this point. I appreciate Grant bringing some positivity back into things. Tornoza was great. Whatever the reason, the second Maite came back, she's been really, really damn good. There were four or five gems passing beyond the last line. That's just like, this is the player I thought we were getting at the beginning of the season, and now she's here, and it just helps us a lot. Like, you can really control a midfield with Maite, Teresa, and Zornoza in the same eleven. I think it's worth mentioning also again that I thought the Esther Naikari dynamic was largely fine, far from perfect. Esther obviously was doing her thing, dropping off a lot, but she also made multiple runs in behind that she wasn't doing at the very start of the season when we really dug into it and talked about incompatibilities. It's not amazing, but it's clearly functional. It's clearly functional. And I don't think there's an argument based on what we've seen on several games now to say like it just cannot work because it is working, right? They both scored versus Real Betis. Esther had multiple chances today. Naikari got on the score sheet. They're, they're, they're finding a little bit of chemistry and it's a net positive for the team, even if they're probably the best versions of themselves by themselves, which I don't care about because it's all about the team. As long as them as long as they can function together and it elevates what we're doing, that's all I bloody care about. If it takes a little bit away from each of them, tough shit you play for Real Madrid. And I, I'm not saying they're complaining. I mean, I think the speed with which they started adapting kind of shows their dedication to this team and self-sacrifice and to making it work. 
I I just think there was a little bit of drama about it, you know, to, to start the, the season. And I, I, I don't think it was ridiculous to bring up. I took it very seriously. I broke it down the best I could because I understood where people were coming from. But it's fine. And if it becomes an issue again, we'll talk about it. But it's good. It's working. And in a lot of games, I would probably start Esther and Naikari together depending on, on how Muller is, is performing because she's been good as well. Kind of feel like Teresa was just a little bit off the pace compared to everyone. Obviously, mistake at the beginning, but something was just off about her. I think and she hasn't looked herself since coming back from injury. I guess that's probably expected. And maybe Lucia was one of the other quieter players. We just weren't attacking down the right wing as much, but it is maybe a little telling that Kenty comes on and she just immediately creates a chance from a, from a shit offensive system that killed everything. So yeah, Lorena, I think her impact was primarily off ball. She really wasn't getting as many touches as much. She was just, just bending the defense and that's okay. Honestly, in, in this type of role, she's fine. And I was okay with the performance. So Kasi comes on. Near the very end, we forgot to mention the 80th minute. Do we take anything away from those 10 minutes or just say she came on, she she looked fit, and, and that's what we need going forward? Yeah, I think that's the takeaway. It's great to have, you know, a fourth midfielder. It's important um, to get these players rest. And I'm interested to kind of see the dynamic of what this midfield can look like with the addition of Kasi at times. In summation, a game we really, really, really should have won. But you also have to consider decisions based on game state and decisions made in the 55th minute were absolute killer. And yeah, one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched. We move on. I I mean, this is just going to be a season. (laughs) Man, I was so excited in preseason watching like these aneurysm-inducing streams to catch a glimpse of Atenega Castillo, like nutmegging people. And boy, it's been a journey since then, but we're in it for the long haul, man. So we'll just, we will see how it goes. We will see how the transfer target situation materializes. It's the international break after this, right? We go from Osnar ball to Vilda ball, but the thing about Vilda ball is, is it's Barcelona ball. And missing assists from Real Madrid players. <laughs> got to gotta add that one Unchanged in there. Unchanged. Does it, doesn't matter us. if it's Cardona or Athenea or Esther. If it's a Real Madrid player trying to provide an assist, Barcelona player is going to shake. Fun change from watching missed assists versus Alaves to whoever Spain is going to destroy 11-0. So that's that. And then we return to club football. Who is it we're playing next? Villarreal, I want to say. Villarreal, and then obviously on we December fourth or fifth, because they decide oh, right. when the games are like two this, hours before they start. This is going to be a little tricky because I think I talked about this before. There's the live pod situation, so where I will be going to New York to do it, and we'll just have to figure it out. But we'll try to get something out for you. And then, yeah. Worst comes to worst, I'll go back to uh, the Valencia radio days and do it myself. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll get you you something. We'll get you guys something. That's for sure.
sure. So, thanks guys. I hope it wasn't more frustrating to listen to me rant after watching a frustrating game. But, I don't know man, I just, I just had to. I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, hope that wasn't too painful for you guys. We'll talk to you later. Um, All Madrid. All Madrid.